Are you frustrated by a lack of patients or referrals who actually make it into your door? Or by a lack of patient awareness or even community awareness about oncology rehab? Are you tired of not having other medical providers not know what we do as oncology physical therapists? Then it might be time for an in-service. Hey there, and welcome to this episode of the OncoPT podcast. And we are talking about one of my favorite and a little unconventional ways of getting more patients who actually know what you do. Welcome to the Onco PT Podcast, where you'll learn from oncology experts, practitioners, and patients to help you on your journey to become a confident and competent Onco PT. Here's your host, Elise Contu. Now, an in-service is a method of communicating with your community. Simply put, and these can really range. Sometimes in-services are like formal all-day affairs, and sometimes they're more casual. But they are some method of communicating a particular message or presenting on a specific topic to your audience. And this can be a great way to educate a group of people on a variety of topics. Now, why an in-service? What does an in-service have to do with us as oncology physical therapists? So let me tell you a story. When I was working in my corporate physical therapy position, there was the idea to do fall screening. And this is a great thing. We definitely need to be screening our patients for fall risk, balance problems. Like this is a well-documented problem within the oncology patient space. But what we were doing was completely wrong. And it was one of the worst ways that we could go about doing this. So how it worked is when the patient arrived at the cancer center, they checked in at the front desk. So this is not me. This is not my front desk. This is the front desk of the cancer center. And they filled out a very simple patient questionnaire that asked them a few questions, including have they experienced a fall and maybe even a near or a near fall in the last 30 days. And if they checked yes, their info was sent to us in our physical therapy clinic. And then we were to call the patient to get them in for an evaluation. Now, keep in mind, the patient was not informed that this process was happening. So a lot of times when I called them because I had received their information, they didn't know that I was going to be calling them. They didn't necessarily always remember what I was calling them about. Like when I was talking about this questionnaire, they didn't know that, you know, that was a way of us screening for them. And a lot of times they didn't know that it was such a big problem that they were falling. Now, this is not necessarily a, I'm turning the blame on the patient. This is unfortunately very, very common in our, our, our society, our culture, that falls are not treated as problematic as what they truly are. And so in the process of trying to get these patients in for an, EV, an evaluation, because they were having balance and falls problems, it didn't work. Over a year, I think I called somewhere like 230, maybe 250 patients, and I tracked every single patient and who actually then came in for an evaluation. The amount of people 
who said yes to coming into an evaluation was less than 2%. And the number of people who then showed up for the evaluation that they said yes to was even less than that. So this goes to show us that cold calling is not a good way to get patients in the door. What we really learned from that experience is that if we're going to get patients to come in and see us, they need to be informed about what the heck is going on. Now, we do know that if an oncologist tells a person that they need rehab, they're more likely to say to themselves, like, yes, I, think I do need rehab because my oncologist told me to do that. However, there's multiple reasons why this is not the fix for everything. A, the oncologists and the oncology team members have very little time. There's a lot of patients who need their help, and a lot of times they're running behind. Like, this is just how it is. So by relying on the oncologist to do this, we are putting ourselves in a bind because they don't always necessarily have the time to do it, the desire to do it, or even the knowledge to do it. I'm a big believer that we need champions. We need oncologists and other oncology medical team members who are on our side, who really understand what we do as oncopts, as cancer rehab professionals, but we can't rely on that. The best way that I found to really get a patient who understands what we do as cancer rehab professionals is to go straight to them. And in services are how I found that it works so well. One of the statistics that I am very prideful of is that I have a 100% conversion rate from giving in services to patients to them actually coming in the door. Now, I know what you're thinking, at least 100%, that seems unbelievable. It kind of is to me too. And it is important to note here, I've given two in-services to three patients and their family members, and that's not a lot. But considering the time that I have spent on those in-services and actually engaging with those patients versus the time that I would spend on those fall calls, the benefits are very, very clear. I spent hours over a year calling those 230 to 250 patients with very little payoff. And it didn't matter that I was actually the one calling them. We had our admin person doing it. We had my supervisor doing it. We had all kinds of people because originally my company uh, did not believe that I was not getting any patients to come in the door. They honestly probably thought that I was just like a flake. But the reality is we can't call patients and expect them to understand and really want to come in for our services. So in-services are a great way to do this. So I did my very first in-service to coincide with Lymphedema Awareness Month, which is in March. And overall, it went well, but there were definitely some things that I learned to make my next in-service better. And I did, and things definitely got better. So for example, at my first in-service, only one patient came, which was not great. But guess what? It was still a fantastic in-service. Listen in today to learn more about if it's time for you to do an in-service and what you can do to plan a successful one. So here is my 10-step checklist for how to plan a really successful in-service and then actually execute it. 
So step number one, determine when you want to deliver your in-service. I am a big fan of working backwards. If I set myself a deadline, then I know I have to go through with it. And I know that I have this much time to do the thing that I need to do. So I would really encourage you to determine when you want to deliver your in-service first and then walk through the rest of these steps. Step number two, pick your topic. And you're right. That would seem like it would be a good first step. I'm going to say no, because I think there are some steps on this checklist that if we put them first, we're only going to delay it actually happening. Like, oh, I have to wait until I have the perfect topic for my in-service before I can actually do it. If you have a deadline for yourself and then you have to create the in-service and whatnot, having that time crunch, that deadline really forces you to align more with the principle that Aaron LeBauer talks about is 80% is good enough. If we wait for things to be perfect, first of all, they're never going to be perfect, but it's really just a, a form of procrastination. So pick your topic number two, but don't start actually writing or creating yet though. Okay, hold off. Step number three is figure out your audience. Are you delivering this in service to patients? Is it to family members of patients? Is it the general community? Is it fellow healthcare providers? What kind of healthcare providers are we talking about? Figure out who you're delivering your message to. And then step number four, determine your delivery method. Are you going to give this in service virtually online? Is it going to be in person? Is it going to be at your own practice or on your own platform? So for example, you know, like, are you going to do a Facebook Live, Instagram Live? Are you going to do Zoom? What does that look like? Are you going to deliver this at the local cancer center? Determine who your audience is, how you're going to deliver it. And then number five is promote the in-service. You can't do an in-service if nobody comes, right? We have to get butts in seats. Tell everybody you know and get everybody you know to tell everybody that they know. The more people you tell and the more people you tell often, as in multiple, multiple times, the more likely that people are going to actually show up for your in-service. There's nothing worse than putting in all this work and then not having anybody show up. So make sure that you are promoting this. And maybe this looks like, again, word of mouth, but also posting on social media, getting the message out to other healthcare providers who may be in contact with your audience. Again, if that's like patients or family members of patients, for example. And only after you've done this, step number six is create the in-service, create the presentation. Now, it's important here that you keep it short and keep it sweet. What are the most essential things that the person should know walking out of your in-service? And make sure as part of your in-service, you save lots of time for questions. I would really encourage you, try to have like half of your time presentation and then half of the time question and answer. I have found that it's in the engaging with your audience that really seals the deal. One of the things I'm going to refer back to again, step number three here is figure out your audience. You need to figure this out first before you create the presentation. That's why we have this as step three, step six, so that you can really tailor your message and how you're talking about your message 
to your audience. Because again, we as physical therapists are very adept at this naturally. We talk to patients one way, we talk to healthcare practitioners a different way. We use different language, we use different ways of explaining things, and we do this very intentionally. So by first determining like, who are you talking to, you can then craft your message to be most impactful. Again, trying to keep it as simple as possible is really the best way to to ensure that your patients will walk away or your audience members, whoever that is, and really understand what you want them to understand out of this experience. Focus on the important stuff is step number seven. And while this kind of goes in with step number six about creating the presentation, it's critical that we focus this on what is truly important. What do you want people to take away from this, but then also don't get wrapped up in the stupid stuff? For example, I'll give you an example. The first presentation I gave, uh, we were in contact with our marketing department at this particular company that I worked with, and they said, yep, like this, this was a thing that they did, right? Okay, great. Like you're doing this in service. We will make sure and come. We'll bring you like punch and cookies. And that way people who come to the presentation can enjoy this, you know, like little refreshments. Okay. So we're like, okay, we've got this all figured out. I'm working on the presentation. My admin person was handling the like cookies and tea side of things. And then the morning of, because we hadn't heard from the marketing department since we initially like confirmed that, we were like, hey, are you coming? What time are you bringing the stuff? You know, we're trying to set this up. And then they said, oh, so sorry, we forgot. We're not going to be able to come out today. And so we were scrambling, trying to figure out, oh my gosh, how do we get cookies and punch for our people? Like, what are they going to do during the presentation? Well, the thing is like, they should probably be listening to the presentation. They're not going to be so much worried about the cookies and punch or whatever that we brought. So the whole like last hour before this in service, we were doing this mad dash of trying to figure out how can one of us go to the store and get this stuff so that we can be back. It was this whole to do. And it was so unnecessary because again, only one person showed up. We had a boatload of cookies left over and that's not what was most important for this. Are refreshments nice? Yes. Are they necessary? No. What's necessary is that you focus on the important stuff so the patient can really walk away or your audience, whoever it is, and really understand the key points, right? What is most important here? Step number eight is do the work, give the presentation. I very much heard this in a podcast the other day and have loved it. So step number eight is do the work. Step number nine is save the receipts. So what this means is, After you do the work, you give the presentation, step seven, step eight, track your metrics. How many people showed up? How many people converted? For example, if we're talking about patients in your audience, how many people that attended the the in-service that you gave have actually come in and scheduled an eval with you? How many people of those that scheduled actually came to the eval, for example? What could be improved? in your in-service? What went well in your in-service? What are you going to do differently next time? This is all part of the process of step number nine, which is save the receipts. It's really important that we demonstrate that what we're doing is actually working. We should not go through 
for example, a year of cold calling 250 patients to only have a 2% conversion rate of patients to actually schedule an eval, and then most of them didn't show up. That is a waste of our time. And if you really want to get down to it, our dollars that are so precious. I should have been spending that time actually working with patients instead of blocking off an hour once a week or so on my schedule so I could call patients only for them to say no thanks. As you can tell, I'm very, very passionate about this. Like, let's do things that are within our wheelhouse, our scope of expertise, our zone of genius, so that we can help more people in our community. And this is one of the smart ways to do it. Step number 10 is to do it all over again. Maybe it's the same in-service. Maybe it's something different. But either way, you have learned in the process different things that worked for you and didn't work. Ways to improve, again, so that you can further connect with your communities. As we're coming up on October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, again, this is a great opportunity to get out in our communities and be doing in-services. Now is the time to start planning. But even if you're listening to this Afterwards, let's say it is October or it's after October. It's never too late. There's always some kind of thing that you can educate your community on that is beneficial for them. And it's important to note here, I want to make sure that we don't get too hung up on like the conversion to evals. You're helping people in your community understand better what is happening to them, what could happen to them, and what they need to know about this whole experience. A person who's better informed about this is going to have better outcomes. And that's what we're really striving for in our communities as OncoPTs. In-services can be a great method of reaching out and connecting with your community and even potential patients. They allow patients and families to engage with you before ever coming in for an eval, which can mean better conversion, and better connection with your patients, which again, ultimately leads to better patient outcomes, which everybody loves. So I'll leave you with this. I had my very first in-service. Again, there was one patient who came and it was a couple other uh, people that I worked with who came to this in-service. And it was so cool because originally I was like, man, I put in all this work, only one person showed up, like dang it. But I went through my in-service and my future patient, because she did eventually turn into a patient, was able to ask very pointed questions about her own experience. And I was able to answer those questions. So even though it was one person, it made all the difference to that one person. She came in. This was after she had seen a different therapist for her lymphedema, was very disappointed with the process, and was kind of turned off from managing her lymphedema like at all. But because of the time that I spent with her in that in-service answering questions, she walked out the door of that in-service and walked upstairs to our clinic and scheduled an eval for the next day. <laughs> Like, that was amazing. And we had such a fabulous rapport and were able to get stuff done so much faster for her, for her because she was already so much more engaged and like excited about this process, which was so cool. So again, I hope you appreciate the excitement and the passion I have for in-services because of how I've seen them work in my own practice. So now I want to hear from you. What did I miss? What else would you include in this episode about in-services?
Message me on Instagram at the Onco PT and let me know. Until next time, this is Elise with the Onco PT. And remember, you are exactly the physical therapist that your patients with cancer need. So let's get to work. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Onco PT podcast. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, leave a rating and review, or support us on Patreon. 